All right, welcome to Equal Time Soccer. We're here with Andrea Carol Frank and Mary Casper from Monarch FC. You cannot see this, listeners, but they are sitting in front of me with the coolest branding that exists in the entire soccer community of Minnesota. And I don't say that lightly because the loons have great branding, but these blow it out of the water. So we will have to get a picture that posted of these two <laughs> kids. But thank you so much for coming in. I've met both of you, I think, maybe a couple times. Andrea, we actually went to college together mm-hmm. somehow. Go Cougars, out in Morris. <laughs> and then Mary, you had hosted a, a futsal tournament where I played the tournament in a women's medium shirt. So you had got <laughs> to see me at my peak. But you all run Monarch FC, which does incredible work to expand access to soccer and give, give girls better opportunity to play the game. Um, just talk a little bit about kind of how Monarch was founded and which communities you try to serve. Okay. Um, at first, Monarch was called Cocoon, and it was mostly for is a Hmong community team um, back 15 years ago, um, and then we changed Cocoon to Monarch um, because um, the younger girls became awesome women, and we wanted it to be more growing a, a great team. So we turned it into Monarch, and we rebranded, and um, it was. Mostly a Hmong group, and then eventually throughout the years became more diverse into Hmong, Kyren, uh, white, uh, um, Latina, and just any and African uh, African American, any uh, group of girls that wanted to come play. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and I think also I want to be clear that so Mary and I are here because we were able to make it work in our schedule. Um, but it's not we have like a, a group of people. Monarch is really a, a network, a support system, um, and so there are lots of people who um, weren't able to make it today. We have a working committee, um, so really representative of anybody that's just engaged in wanting to do this work. Um, we come together and, and make stuff happen. Mm-hmm. Well, and talk about the the overall need you saw, or kind of how the organization got started because I think um, for folks who get you know for someone like me where I didn't I didn't grow up having an intimate knowledge of kind of how the Twin Cities club soccer scene worked you know for folks from a rural area or for people who aren't really um, you know waist deep or neck deep in like the club soccer scene I think you know some of the things that I've learned is just the the cost that comes with kind of a traditional club soccer paradigm or even just the norms that are built into all of the structure and all of the setups and all of those things. I mean, pay to play gets talked about in mm-hmm. like a broad way, but I don't think we really dig in at like the local level, or at least I don't think there's a robust discussion about what that means in terms of literal families being able to participate or not. Mm-hmm. But talk a little bit about kind of what, um, what about kind of the traditional soccer setup wasn't accommodating, you know, these girls who weren't getting a shot to play. Mm-hmm. Well, I just want to start by saying I think um, club is really rigorous and it's huge here. I mean, in, in the U.S. and there's a bajillion and a half clubs in the Twin Cities. Um, but all of these communities have had their own soccer networks that have been going on for the same number of years. Right. So we got hooked into um, a, a Hmong network. Right. And the huge sort of the, the most well-recognized thing that's happening in the Hmong community is a J4 tournament that happens every year, right? The International Freedom Festival, um, which is kind of how we started as a team that was preparing for that. They invited Mary to play as a former Division One player. Mary, you know, and I had worked together in a previous life. She invited me because I was still playing at that time. Um, they were not receiving a high level of coaching. Um, Mary is a coach and I was a coach and we just sort of 
fell into that leadership position um, to really give the girls a, a higher quality training environment. Um, and then over the years have just been more deeply connected into all of these other communities. I mean, the Latino leagues are giant, right? You can't pass any field on the weekends without seeing leagues and leagues and leagues. There's a really, really strong tradition of soccer in the East African community that shows up here. Um, so there are players who are already playing. Young people, I think, are starting to show up in club environments. Um, but as you mentioned, I think it is. it can be a challenge financially. Um, it can be a challenge if the club isn't set up with an understanding of your culture. You know, it can be hard to get rides if you have to travel, you know, a half an hour by car or, or, or that kind of thing. Or if you have a coach that doesn't have an understanding of like, hey, this is what my family dynamic is like. Um, you know, if they're not willing to work with you, it can not feel comfortable for players. Um, and oftentimes what has at least happened in the past and I think more so on the girls side than on the boys side um, it's not a good experience they're like I don't want to do this I know I'm getting good soccer but this isn't this isn't my life I need to be doing all these mm -hmm. other things and then it doesn't they, feel right right and then they just stop um, so I think one of the things that we have really had the honor of doing at Monarch is like we know that there are all these players out here already and if we have an opportunity to just be creating space and like if we can pull together gym space or like grab grass space and invite everybody it people show up because they're like oh this is fun these are my people like you just want to play but also we're getting high quality training environments and i get to play against a former division one player and oh i've never played before like am i good enough to play absolutely right it's just i think for me it's just a, a very different feeling of being welcomed and being included um, we're really open to like women, female identifying people, women identifying people, all ages, right? We have, you know, the 13 year old who's never played and then people who have multiple kids and they want to come back. It just is a 100%, you know, inclusive space for folks. And I think that is such a different environment. Um, some, sometimes club teams are like that, but not always. And so I think it's what allows people to stay connected to our network for I mean that we're 15 years old right for years and years and years people just stay or people come back um, and so we have people who players who are connected to club and they go to that and they also come to us right players who play in college and are bringing their college players to come to our things I think there's a a joy to the game um, that we're really honored to keep mm -hmm. yeah it seems I mean I think the one way to describe it would be a lot of the a lot of the developments or club mergers or new announcements or you know new investments from US soccer just like top level opportunities seem to be really focused you know on the on the spectrum of developing top end talent with the idea of funneling top end talent up to the top 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 levels of olympic competition national team competition you know that's one end of just top performance and how do we drive talent into our program and at the other end is access like how do we give folks a chance to play mm -hmm. like just with the idea of that could also lead to more talent funneling mm -hmm. up. but you're mm -hmm. starting from a different place you know if the top line goal is performance a lot of the times that can lead to narrowing that access whereas mm -hmm. you seem to be starting from 
we need to start with wide access because everyone deserves a shot. Mm-hmm. And then if that leads to top level talent development, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. But it's not the primary from jump, like step number one, two, and three Correct. of the setup. Yeah. Well, I think it's. I think we have a really interesting model because we actually have turned out incredible talent. Um, we've had, I think, well, I don't want to make a bold statement and say one of the first Hmong players to go, but one of the first Hmong players to go to college, like, came out of the programming that we were doing, um, and I think there is, right, this is the the model that's used worldwide, right, that people come and they, they play and they're having fun and competing and they, because they love the game, then they're training on their own and they're showing up in these different spaces. Um, I think some of the, the top some of the top talent here has participated in our things and they're actually getting better, right? We have college players that are training with us and they're just coming to our environment, going back out and being even better. Um, and I do think that that's something that structured environments are missing um, because they're disqualifying like the fun, I think, the, the fun and competition and the health and wellness of, and relationships of players. Um, and so it's a very small cross-section of people that can really survive and thrive in that environment Mm -hmm. when we see internationally people that are playing because they love the game and they have communities and cultures that support them they're doing significantly better Mm -hmm. for sure on the men's side Mm -hmm. granted we do well with women um, (laughs) in the u.s but you know Mm -hmm. i mean i think there is something behind a model that says Mm -hmm. if it's player generated if Mm -hmm. i want to play and i want to train and i want to learn that I can have fun, then I'm going to go wherever I want to go. And mm-hmm. if that's D1, awesome. If it's D3, awesome. And if it's in your backyard with your kids, awesome. Mm-hmm. Well, and talk a little bit about your own personal experiences in the game that kind of led you to want to do this work. You know, there's plenty of Minnesota spits out thousands and thousands and thousands of soccer players through club and high school and college and all these things that don't end up trying to do work like this that it, you know and do this type of programming and build this type of a, an operation so talk a little bit about like your personal experiences and what you think in your own life or what realization you made that made you want to do you know invest time and effort because it is a lot of time and effort into doing this work um for me i grew up in uh, forest lake so I grew up in the suburbs. Um, I was one a very few person of color playing in uh, high school. And um, I played there for a little bit and then I, my dad wanted me to play at a higher level and he wanted me to play college soccer. So um, he took me to St. Paul Blackhawks, which is a little bit more diverse, um, but in the club level at that time was still not as diverse as it could be. Um, so I promised myself that I wanted to create a team or an organization to help create a team of an organization that was of all races. Um, and so that's why I keep doing the work that I do um, because I want, I think in the club levels, it's I'm gonna pick you from your community, I'm gonna pick you from your community and I'm gonna make a team versus let's build a team within the community that's already there. Mm-hmm. So that's why I keep doing the work that I do and I love doing it. So. Well, and when you were at, you know, when you're playing in a Division One program, I think in some ways those top levels exemplify, you know, most directly kind of what you described of mm-hmm. like the peak of kind of picking top performers, but then what, you know, versus building the community because it's sort of early recruiting and all of those things of just finding individual players. Mm-hmm. I mean, talk about your experience at, at the college level of kind of when you walked in, was it? 
was it, you know, did you, was it similar to all your previous stops or was it something different or, you know, what kind of things did you see there? Uh, it was pretty similar. Um, again, at, at the U it was a little bit more diverse than in club, but, um, it would, didn't feel like community. It felt like you're there, you're a player, you get hurt, you're now like, we're waiting for you to, to get to be healthy and then you get to play again versus uh, you're injured let's heal you let's what do you need um, do you need some time to go home and talk to family like it was it didn't feel like people cared about the the player but more about we need to perform and be the best we can be mm-hmm. and I get that's d1 soccer <laughs> um, but I think that's what really drove me to make sure that when, even when I coach, it's what can I do for you? You're injured, or what can I do for you? You seem like mentally you're not all in the in the training. Versus you're not in the training, you can go home. Mm-hmm. So really, just nurture the person versus just the player. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How about you? Yeah. Um, so I have spent most of my life in St. Paul. Um, I also am a product of Blackhawks. Um, I went to the University of Minnesota in Morris. Go, where go, we go Cougars. <laughs> briefly crossed over uh, in our careers. Uh, after I, you know, sort of a classic, like, yeah, I still love the game. I'm young and fit and let me play five, six nights a week. Um, you know, played um, in a lot of, of the co-ed leagues that are here. Um, I had been playing with Monarch um, when I was in college, so was already kind of connected into that community. Actually, I really kind of followed Mary and I. So Mary and I have been connected for years. Um, we were both we got connected because we were both working for an organization um, called Minnesota Thunder Plus which was really similar, right? Like urban and immigrant young people, we were connected into the rec centers. Um, we were building leagues, building teams. Um, so when, you know, Mary was playing and she was like, hey, Andrea, do you want to come play? And I was like, sure. Um, and then, you know, as she got connected into the Latina leagues a little bit later, she was like, hey, Andrea, you should do my team. And I was like, sure. Um, so a lot of our relationship has really been connected through the playing of soccer. Um, and I think because we were both sort of raised in the nonprofits, um, like my entire career for the most part, except for brief stints in restaurants and like a soccer store, <laughs> very brief, wasn't that fun, <laughs> other than the discounts, um, has been con- like doing youth work and, and youth development um, with a significant focus on soccer. Um, so I have always worked in a nonprofit and I have always coached. Um, I think we've always kind of had dual lives, right? Kind of similar career trajectories. Um, so as Monarch was, it, it started right as just a team, but it was also like, okay, so we don't have gym space. So let's, if we want free gym space at the Ober Center, like let's get our people and let's tutor the kids so then they'll give us free gym space. All right, we need field space. So what do we need to do in order to part? Like, so we started to do things in partnership with community because we had no money and nothing. Like there's no staff. Everything is just people out here who want to train. Um, and luckily, right, with our education and our professional experience, we were able to really bring that mindset to, okay, now that we're getting a little bit bigger, we have more and more people that want to participate, like, what could this look like to actually be a little bit more organized? Um, You know, I mean, Linda 
was six when she started with us and just graduated Mm -hmm. like she's I mean right so we've had people with insane amounts of time that are still connected with us and so some of it started to change so it was at that time okay you're young people you're interested in going to college let's just do soccer Um, but then they're like well uh, we also want to go to college can you help me with my application like okay cool so we started do it you know it just sort of morphed naturally into this thing that was so soccer I think is still or was still the language right and both of us because that's a passion that we share stayed connected to it but as we were seeing more um you know I don't want to say need in the community but girls were really coming and saying I'd like to do more I would like to train more I want to go to college or you know we used to bring Monarch actually up to Morris for the 7v7 and for us we were like well this is awesome because when else are these girls going to get an opportunity to play against college players and we also did college visits um, so we really have tried to be responsive to what people are asking for. And as we've grown into a network of more and more people, right, we're all about relationships. People are saying, oh, I want this. Can you help me with my GRE? Can you connect me with an academic advisor? Um, we're just getting more more, more people who are like, yes, let's play, let's use soccer as a language, and let's do all of these other things, supporting people to start their own businesses and entrepreneurs and going to school and, and having children. And, you know, just it really is about the, the full person. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think luckily, right, it's, it's such a deep piece of who I am. Um, and I'm privileged to have the opportunity to be a part of the community and continue to do this work. Mm-hmm. Well, and to that point, I mean, talk a little bit about what your overall, I mean, I think you gave little bits of it in there, like what the overall programming looks like, you know, how much of it is a structured game against another team, you know, where you have the refs and, you know, subs, halftime, all like a very like set up game versus the random open play on Mm -hmm. a given weekday versus someone calling and asking for sub. Talk a little bit about kind of what that, what that looks like for you know, when, when, if a girl came up to me on the street and said, like, oh, yeah, I've been with Monarch for 10 years, does that mean she's been, you know, <laughs> showing up a, a couple days a week to play pickup? Or does it mean they're, you know, suiting up against other teams in a standard, you know, game setup? Or what, what does that look like? Good question. Um, I know, just to back up a little bit, J4 um, was where the Hmong community team started. Um, from there, for so many years, we were training all year round to play for this one tournament. And we had a lot of heartaches and cries when we didn't win. And so some of us decided, like, this is it. This is the last year that we're going to just, like, just train for this. We're going to create some new programming. And so then we started doing futsal in the winter. And then we did some, um, like, college visits in the spring. And then we started doing the women's the women's league in the summer. And then we did J4. So if we didn't win J4, we're like, we still have program all year round. It's not the end of the world. Um, so, that's, so with that said, it's um, usually in the fall, we don't have programming. I mean, last year we did. We had the women's league. But a lot of us coach, so we can't uh, coach or do anything in the fall. Mm-hmm. So we coach high school soccer. And then the winter we did like co-ed uh, futsal and then we just started a women's futsal. And then we do tournaments in the winter. Uh, spring we do uh, training and maybe some tournaments. And then in the summer we do women's league. And then J4 still. So is the women's league like over a certain age or something? Or is it just the like your own? So are you in like the 
MWSL, but you can get waivers as a younger person, yeah. as okay. a person under eighteen. Is it largely folks old, older, like a, like adult women playing in the league? Like, is it? Yeah, mostly adult women, and then the younger ones are ones that are wanting more extra training for mm-hmm. fall season. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So we don't say no. You're too young. We still say let's mm-hmm. make it work. Right. Or they're on their own teams, right? Like mm-hmm. there's a, a huge number of players who form. So the the network of um, current players and current teams is huge, and the talent is incredible. Mm-hmm. So they're already like they're tra- traveling nationally to go to their own teams, mm-hmm. right? And they're like the people who lead like those the current tournaments. Yeah, right. the people who lead those teams are like 24, you know. Mm-hmm. But they're like, all right, cool. It's like they're having their whole thing um but because they're here in the cities and they're connected through some of mary's work at washington and all, you know and like a girl mm-hmm. right all, right the networks are here it's all about relationships then they're they're also coming to training mm-hmm. um you know and and we're really trying to um because we're really considering ourselves as a network it's not just about like this is what we offer we're also we've been working pretty hard to put together calendars with other offerings so what you know if like a girl is doing this or if girls rock in minneapolis is doing this or where are all of the spaces that we can just open up so that people can come and participate um so i mean i think we we definitely have a huge focus on soccer programming but we also are pretty regularly like sitting down with with people and you know us as individuals but we're mentoring folks i mean i just had an hour and a half meeting the other day talking about the gre in grad school and what do you want to do um you know because people come to me with those specific questions but we're also connecting you know like we have a member who connected to another member and their dad because like oh well what might that job be like a lot of i think the sort of informal work is connecting people to other people who have interests and then letting them like supporting them to explore whatever it is that they want to do right supporting people um like i mentioned to start their own businesses you know or if they want to start a nonprofit, or maybe i'd like to try national service right um, us as the you know the two individuals here, but we like you know Kelly Tao and PK Tao and other people who are really founders of of what we've been doing. Um, everyone is just trying to connect people to other things. So it's something I think we need to do a better job of figuring out how do we talk about that, like and what is our narrative and how do we tell our story. So we're also looking for support for branding and marketing, um, but it is. Because relationships are amorphous, a lot of what we do is is that informal, interpersonal, like what is it that you're looking for and let us help you support it. And if we can help support by getting you gym space, we'll do that. And if we can help support by connecting you into the Like a Girl College Showcase, we'll help you do that, right? Mm-hmm. It really is kind of decentralizing individual people and supporting, I mean, supporting and guiding and mentoring um, but hey, if you have a team and you've got your own captain, like rock on. What do you need help with? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, well, and I think you talking about like the different groups and kind of what they what they already do on their own versus what they need from you versus mm-hmm. you know what a different organization offers all of that all of those things. I mean, there's a lot of um, you know kind of nimbleness in that. Like it seems like you you are really since you all are so focused on serving the folks you're serving and making them the focal point of what's going on it seems like then there's a lot of different you know barriers that pop up that you're trying to address for them I mean what are some of those key barriers to doing this kind of work 
um, other than just, of course, money, which, would be amazing, <laughs> uh, which pays for field time and pays for mm-hmm. equipment, pays for everything. And But what are some of those key barriers you face in um, trying to help these teams and these girls, you know, get the opportunity they're looking for? I think for, I'm just thinking the women's league. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking the women's league when we, uh, when Monarch first started, we were the only group team that was fully like women of, or just very diverse, mm-hmm. very, very diverse. Mostly women of color. Women of color. Um, and the other teams were mostly white women. Mm-hmm. Um, and having that first year was very, not only was hard financially, but I think, um, explaining to people what we were trying to do. Um, I think other teams would be like, oh, that team is just a team of women of color. Like They were confused. And I think just having that, being kind of the pioneers of trying new things and things that have not been there yet, like spaces, I think a lot of people started questioning, like, what is your motives? And so I think that was the hardest part. I think I just think women's league, it was really hard um, explaining to referees, like, this person needs to wear this because of religious things. And mm-hmm. this is just that dialect of um, these players might not understand what you're saying, so stop yelling at them. Like, um, so just, like, it's small things, but it, it made a huge difference. Mm-hmm. And um, just trying to explain to you know, the women's league teams and stuff like we are just here to play and maybe some of these players might be a little bit more rough or might not, you might not be like the style of of what you see, but like be patient with us. And now we're at our like sixth year of women's league and we feel more comfortable bringing in more players of color and saying like, this is who we are and we're not going anywhere. So Mm -hmm. I think just being the pioneers of in spaces that our people might not be seeing other teams. Well, it's it's like you had to be the person who had yeah. the first conversation with yeah. that player every single time of right. like the first time they dealt with a team where a woman was wearing a hijab or the first right. time they dealt with mm-hmm. a player who wasn't speaking you had like give all of these people their right. first right. and that emotional and mental and literal yeah. like la- labor was put on your shoulders of having to carry yeah. like that I know this is the first time you, you like you mm-hmm. had to show the patience and the time mm-hmm. to be I know this is the first time you're dealing with this. Like, I'm going to hold your hand. Like, we're going to go through this. And that's just a lot to go through, especially... Well, I think it's tough for folks to understand when you've never had to do that work. You know, it's easy for me to sit here and be like, I never had any problem playing soccer. It was pretty chill. Mm -hmm. You just sign up for the team and go. You know, it's like a really straightforward, easy experience for so many people. And then for you all, you have to go through For white people. Yeah. I mean, like, and for... You know, like we play, we would play teams from like Pelican Rapids or other communities that were much more diverse than ours. Mm-hmm. And it's like, whoa, we're playing a team where they're all speaking Spanish to each other. And it's like mind shattering yeah. for like a rural white kid who's mm-hmm. never seen it before. But you're still exposing people to that as like adults. Mm-hmm. I mean, like they're still going through that first as like fully fledged adults in the women's league. So that's just. Well, and it's interesting too, because we're in the city. And right. It is so diverse and it's you know, referees saying, can you please get your um, fans away from my bag? And it's like, well, why? They're not going to do anything. Well, a couple, like a week ago, I got uh, my bag stolen, something in my bag. And it's like, because these people are of color, like this, it's just really hard questions and conversation, courageous conversations with people that some people might be like, 
what are you talking about? Like, I'm just asking you to move. But I'm like, would you ask anyone else to move? So it's just mm-hmm. really being the pioneers of, like, having conversations that some people might not be ready for at the time. Mm-hmm. I know 15 years ago, it wasn't, people weren't ready, like, mm-hmm. to have that conversation. Well, and it's in those situations, in the moment, it can be easier to just move and not deal with it. Mm-hmm. You know, it can be easier mm-hmm. transactionally in the moment mm-hmm. to, like, take that tough situation and be like, Ugh, we're not... I'm not going to take the time to educate this guy. You know, like I'm not going to take the time to... And so doing the actual labor to do that is ridiculously hard. Mm -hmm. Because when you're the one being... They're putting their judgment on you and their prejudice Mm -hmm. on you. And then you have to be the one to teach them. It's like a double... It's like a double effort. You're already taking the hit from that person who's putting their prejudice and racism on you. And then you have to be the one willing to teach them. Mm -hmm. It's like a ridiculous... Well, it's what happens everywhere in our society so it's not it's not unique to soccer but it's still brutal and insane and and so much work yeah and even just being a coach and a leader it's hard to okay I see where my players are getting frustrated and I see where the system is and how do we bridge so we're not like all of a sudden I mean that game was if you don't do what I say you guys are gonna have to forfeit Mm -hmm. so it's like okay we don't want to forfeit I get what you guys are, what my players are saying. How do you, as a leader, just say like, "I want to show you that I'm protecting you," but at the same time, we can't like have this be like this is not the right time to have this conversation and mm-hmm. to um, like a game is literally back. happening. Right yeah, now. so like <laughs> that, I think outside the financial thing, I think it's just having those those conversations with players and saying like this is what we need to navigate through, and as you know, also trying to figure out with the system how do we make everything work. Well, and I think what you're describing is basically the on the ground, real life situation that would make a player kind of retreat. So like, I think if an individual player, like a a girl like you growing up, Mm -hmm. if someone or a player like you growing up is the only like player of color Mm -hmm. and they're at a game and they get forced to deal with that situation in the moment, but no one else is there and they're Mm -hmm. only dealing with it by themselves Mm -hmm. is I think what ends up driving, like you Mm -hmm. said, those decisions of the soccer is better, but this feels like crap. Like Mm -hmm. I feel bad about myself. Mm -hmm. I don't know how to deal with this situation or I shouldn't have to deal with the situation by myself as like a 12 year old, 14 year old, 16 year old. Mm -hmm. No one should have to deal with it, but especially Mm -hmm. when you're by yourself on that island. And that really, I think plays, you sort of did a good job of describing what the real life um, impact is where it drives access away you know it mm-hmm. puts that barrier up mm-hmm. and access to the game I mean what do you think that lack of access does to development overall like in the country I mean I think we um, we in general have obviously a successful women's team mm-hmm. but I think it looks you know a pretty specific way you know like our game looks you know the game develops a certain way and certain people are able to succeed in it I mean what do you think that lack of access does to development of the game overall I think we're, well, and I'll just speak for Minnesota. I think by not, I mean, right, it's very clear Minnesota, well, the nation, um, but Minnesota in particular, right, rank worst in equity, right, the differences between people who are white and people who are, you know, black, indigenous, people of color in, in, you know, economics, health, education, right, like literally Minnesota sucks at a lot of things, right? Um, And I think that... uh, 
as we talked about, right, the, the club system has done really, really well for a lot of white players, right, or players with financial ability, players with strong family or parental support, you know, players who have vehicles or who live in a neighborhood where other people can come pick them up, right? You have to have all these things in order to succeed in club. And we've turned out some really amazing players, you know, I mean, Crystal Coleman is a great example, right? And her sister and like, there are players that are extraordinarily talented who have done well. Granted, in the Midwest, in Minnesota, we're not producing players like they are in climates that can play year round and you know so I mean beautiful grass yeah. 12 months of the year yeah you know so we can kind of right right so we can take that with a grain of salt but we have produced a lot of players and I think also you know a lot of more recent players of color right like Amy Yang who came right from Boston but came out of the cities went up to NDSU she's still working to go pro you know Maya Ryasich and Lydia Rupert who came out of um out of Minneapolis and tried to play the U. Um, but we're seeing, right, that's kind of where it stops. I think some players, if they have an opportunity to go to a college because that coach has built a strong relationship with their family, then they go and they have the support system. Um, but other players go and they show up. So even though they're extraordinarily talented, they're going and then stopping. And probably stopping completely, right? It's very, very, it, I think it takes a mental fortitude and a support system to go into a situation where you feel like your whole like, being, you're not treated as a human, and then you keep playing. A lot of times people are like, well, I'm just done. You know, or I'm, you know, and they they completely recluse from places where they could be seen, despite the fact that, right, there's clear evidence that many players who are from communities that fully support soccer as a game in the world, right, they're playing more often. They play all the time because it's fun and they're playing in the street and they're playing in their backyard and they're showing up with their friends. I think the creativity is very different. Um, and I think it is something that is missing, particularly in the women's game. I think. Now there are more players and more white players or players that have been produced from traditional club systems that are more creative. You see dribbling still looks a little bit different, but if you are, for example, a really talented dribbler or you are a significant force in the air, in the women's game you can go far. Which is like, that's silly. I mean, it's awesome, but you should have to do all of these other things also. It shouldn't be a surprise if you're a woman and you can break ankles, right? It shouldn't be a surprise if you're a woman and you're not afraid to go up in the air or you're not afraid to hit people hard. And I still think the fact that that makes such a difference in the girls game is telling me that we're not tapping into communities that do this already. Um, so for me, at least, I think there's a lot of, of creativity that's missing. And I also think it's not just about like individual player creativity, but like Mary was sharing when you were talking about the Women's League, when communities are playing in a different way and they're showing up in other spaces and showing other players like, oh, actually this is fun and I do want to play more often or oh wow like you're you know three feet shorter than me but you are knocking the ball around in a completely different way like the game is different and I think because we know that more there are more white women who are coaching right you typically even though I don't agree with it but typically people coach the way that they were trained which obviously doesn't matter because you're training kids that are not you right that's a whole separate issue um 
But the more players who are going into coaching, the more coaches who have had an opportunity to play with other players or from different communities or different racial identities, you see the game in a different way, you're training it in a different way, and you're open to different perspectives. And my personal opinion as a coach is what that does is that allows players to be fully themselves on the field. And if you have players who embrace their full identity, they're going to succeed and blow you out of the water. I think the best players, the players who do well at all levels of the game are 100% their selves. And I think the U.S. has been really, really great on the women's side doing that, right? Players who are playing at the top level, like Tobin, right? Like she is 100% herself. There's such an amazing embracing of all of people's identities, right? And I think if we could be doing that at all levels, all the way down through clubs and into communities, we would see so many more identities and player styles that are showing up that makes the whole game better because it's more diverse in all senses of that word playing style racial identities gender identities religion identities like everything Mm -hmm. right if we actually tapped into the full i mean there are billions of people in the u.s like wouldn't it be awesome if we had all of that represented and showing up in structured places and showing up on the world and on the world stage in a different way Mm -hmm. Well, and I think you both you both also operate kind of on the coaching side where, you know, women are still obviously vastly underrepresented just in the, like, for women's teams, let alone teams in general. Um, so, I mean, talk a little bit about what, you know, what you've seen, like, what difference it can make to have, you know, women on the sideline coaching a girls team and what that means for those players to be able to see someone on the sideline. But also, what are some things that... Um, we all can do to push for more of those opportunities for women, like on the sideline and, and in the coaching ranks? That's a good question. <laughs> well, I was, uh, I would think when, I would say 15 years ago, um, when I first started wanting to be part of like high school coaching teams, uh, there wasn't as many women of color. And I think if we have coaches there that are really, um, embracing, like Andrea saying, the communities that are around in that area um, and just like wanting them to do better and not just as players but as people, um, I think the players become better. Um, they want to play more, they want to train more, they start um, eating better because they're like, I want to be a better person for these coaches and this coach kind of looks like me and understands that, hey, when I'm having my time of the month, I can't make that be an excuse. Mm-hmm. It can't be like, oh, I have time a month, I gotta get be at home. No, you can still train unless you're that, that player that passes out when you're at that time of the month. So I think right. having a female coach, we can push the, the, group, the women a little bit harder, but know that one to back off a little bit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. How about it? Well, and the player may trust, trust that type of mm-hmm. um, push and pull more mm-hmm. because they know that coach has been through similar things too. Yeah. Like they, like, Someone you're coaching knows you had to fight through being, you know, the you know the one, the only person in so many different ways, like on mm-hmm. those on those teams of having to be the other or the person who felt alone in that situation. Mm-hmm. And so, seeing knowing that you've been through that, there's like you sort of hinted at, there's fewer there's fewer excuses for that player to be like, no, you don't get it, it's different. Like there's a more authentic connection yeah. there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and I think, you know, there again, there's like well-documented research and, and obviously 
a lot of people just sort of instinctively know this, but there's so much more relationship building, I think, that needs to be done with women and girls. Um, I mean, certainly a lot of that is cultural and, and socialized, um, but I have found through my own practice, right, as a coach, but also as a youth worker and as a professional, um, that when there is that intentional relationship building, it just makes a huge difference, right? And I'm not, like, there are really great men out there that are doing this work, and there are women out there that I don't think are great, you know? So it's not just about, like, gender politics and identities, um, but I think uh, there is, oftentimes, women are going into coaching. Um, sometimes it's for a good reason. I had a great women or woman coach, and I would like to also be that, but a lot of times it's, I did not have a good experience, you know, I mean, that's what happened to me. I was really, really, really fortunate in my younger days. It took until I was um, later to have that negative experience. But I literally remember saying, I refuse to let anybody else ever go through what I did. And it completely changed my coaching style. And I've found success in it. Um, I do think there's a huge piece, like Mary said, around being able to have those conversations with young people. Um, you know, I mean, I think players share things with with you that they might not with. It's about trust, right? And again, some of it is just like this is an identity I share as a girl or as a woman or as you know, female identifying whatever. Then um, they fe- so you can have that conversation or hey, I know a little bit about your community or you shared with this. So when you say that you have to go home, I have a deeper understanding for what that type of pressure means if you are the oldest girl because you know this is also what I have to do in my home so you can just have those conversations in a different way that the the more work you're doing with that relationship then of course allows that player to be like oh you do actually see me as a human you do understand a little bit about my community and then when that trust is there that's when like Mary was saying you can say hey I know that you have to babysit but you told me that you want to go to college so if you want to go to college I'm going to need you to get here what can we do to support your baby you know Mm -hmm. you can just have more bigger conversations about who they are as a full person Mm -hmm. and really say number one you're going to tell me the truth when I ask you who you want to be in the world or what you want to do in the world and number two we can talk through and put in place all these systems so that you can actually succeed and it's not going to be hard right but you can actually succeed Mm -hmm. um and I'll say, I think for me personally, I have also been pretty heavily involved in clubs um, and in a club for 13 or 14 years. Um, only recently, I think, has there been, and recently, you know, the last five or seven years, like s- cities wide, a real change in the number of women who are showing up in coaching ranks. I think there are some clubs that do better than others. I mean, huge shout out to Jen Larrick, right? She's the director of girls um, coaching at Burnsville. Mm -hmm. I think it's the only club that is fully staffed by women on the girls' side. Like, that's the type of leadership um, to say this is something that's important to me. This is a value. This is what girls are telling me that they want. So when people can get into a leadership position, they say, okay, great. Now I'm going to be the one to execute this. Um, and if people aren't in those positions, if you're not surrounded by a support system, it can be really, really hard. Mm-hmm. Um, I stayed because I believed in my players. I was did not feel supported, and it was probably some of the hardest thing I ever had to do was be like, hey, I'm going to stay in this place um, where I don't feel that my identities are seen when I'm not getting the same opportunities because I don't want to play the games, I don't want to play politics. And I get it, right? It's the way of the world. It's the way these things work. Um, for me, it's been a lot of conversations about what are my what are my values, 
How much do I need to hold strong to my values? What do I need to do if I really care about my players and I'm going to do anything to advocate and support my players? Do I have to be the one to kind of be the human shield? Um, and I think that still exists a lot today, mm-hmm. right? I think things definitely are changing, but I think, you know, Mary and I are, and certainly there are amazing women that have come before us, right? Like there are amazing directors of coaching who are older than Mary and I, who we really looked up to. But there is a new wave of people, of women who are in their young 20s, mid 20s, who are now directors of coaching, who are stepping in and taking high school positions. Um, so there is a change coming. And I think speaking personally, um, like we're doing everything that we can to support other other girls and women hey do you want to coach oh hey you should start hey you can make really good money in coaching I see you've got a good you know IQ for the game I think you should get into this um, it's one of the things they said at the women's coaching symposium is women are more likely to get into coaching positions if they have another woman being like hey you should consider coaching I mean look at Lindsay Whalen right like mm-hmm. that's why she, you know like girls and women everybody Right, but somebody believing in you and actually being like, hey, like you've got the sauce, I think you should try it out, and then let me mentor you, or hey, call me, you know, I'm running a captain's practice, I don't know what to do, sure, well, tell me what your ideas are, like let's talk it through, um, really supports, pl- and I don't care where you coach, right? If you're coaching rep with five-year-olds, awesome. If you wanna go high school, if you wanna be a captain, if you wanna run your own community team, mm-hmm. there's so many women there that are doing such good work and if we can just support them to stay in the game, right? So we get more women coaches in general. We can have a really strong focus on, you know, women of color, black, indigenous women of color in coaching. There's going to be a massive surge of, I think, girls and women that come up, well, they're already there, right, but are just exploding in a public scene because they're like, yes, these are my people. Like, this is a place where I want to play because this is everyone around me supporting me. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, it's exciting, you know, it's mm-hmm. it's a road that we've had to walk, but I think th- the more that we, we in the general we, everybody can be the first if you're the one, you know, you know that you have, that you're paving a path of people behind you. Even mm-hmm. I think some of the, granted, we, we, you know, the question was about coaching specifically, but some of the entrepreneurs that we've had or, or you know, people that have gone to med school and have gone to college and doing those things or getting their PhDs, like they're being the first ones or some of the early ones, everybody that's their friend or the younger girls are like, oh, I can do that too. You know, Amy going D1, Evelyn going D2, like mm-hmm. every other girl who's in high school is like, I want to go D2 now. I want to mm-hmm. go D1 now. Like, there's just something about representation that really matters. Mm-hmm. Well, and first, I will say, I just slid a $20 bill to Andrea for talking for very low-key plugging our podcast and video chat with BB United and Jen Lyric about having an all-women staff. So she received her payment. We all saw it. Wish. Mary saw it. I'll take the, a cookie. <laughs> there's not even cookies. That's how little incentive I'm giving to these great guests. Free 99. Right, exactly. Well, and I think you've you've hinted a couple times at, you know, girls who have gone on to play at the college ranks and then also, you know, the fall season 
obviously there's an element of like the school season going on so that impacts your programming but talk a little bit more directly about kind of how that structured school the school structured environment plays into your programming like do you do you encourage girls to play in in that kind of setting because then they get a taste of what that kind of environment is like or you know what I mean where it's kind of a different it's sort of in some ways the opposite of sort of um, free futsal, you know, on, mm-hmm. on a weekday where it's more about playing for fun. Like that's, but school is also not quite like club because it's not quite the level of financial and logistical barrier, you know, because it's a collectively run through the school, even if it does cost real resources. Mm-hmm. Um, just talk a little bit about what that kind of structured school environment, how that plays into like how you serve the, the girls that you see. Is it something you push them to try or is it just kind of another of the many, many different options on the table? Um, I always go back to you 15 years ago um, because 15 years ago, uh, Andrea and I were working probably a little bit more than that. Um, yeah, so yeah. Minnesota Thunder Plus, <laughs> um, and I was also a coach at St. Paul Blackhawks for a while, and I saw how it wasn't very diverse, and there was a lot of you know a lot of parents putting in money to the kids that a lot of times be like, I don't want to be here today. And I wanted to coach players that actually wanted to be there. So um, working for um, Minnesota Thunder Plus um, and Sean Paul was my mentor. Um, he really like encouraged me to create my own or like create something new. Um, so Andrea and I uh, created a Minnesota Thunder Plus girls team, and we had a club, and we would pick them up from from home and take them to the games, and we would drop them off, and we would go to different tournaments and leagues. And um, from there, we had a great conversations with the players, and they said, we want to play high school, but we're scared. We're nervous. We don't know how it's run. We don't know how to sign up. We don't know what the coaches are like. Um, so that, just starting that dialect with the players, we started to be more uh, invested in like really getting players to the high school to playing high school so it really wasn't us like encouraged well we were motivating them to play but they wanted to play and I think a lot of times Adrian and I will um, just have conversations with players or with people and then they're saying this is where we want to go and if a lot of players or people want to be at a certain space then we try to make that happen um, and so I think with programming in like the schools we really try to now for I know for me as a high school coach at Washington um, girls are saying, I want to play college. How do I get there? And so, um, you know, talking with Andrea and Jen, um, we were trying to think, like, how do we get these players into college and keeping them at the schools so that they feel comfortable? And so now I'm going to do is in school is, like, really keep talking and having that dialect of players. What kind of college do you want to play for? What kind of education do you want to be in? What is your grades? Um, does it have an ESL program? Like just different type of support systems. Um, and I always tell my players, student, athlete, mm-hmm. not athlete, student. First is education and then it's sports. So really go to college to what education do you want? Like what college do you want to actually go to? And then like what kind of soccer program? Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Yeah, I think that there is an element of high school that is really convenient. Number one, it's here's a very intense six-week everyday training period. Um, And if you coach them outside of it, you can't coach them in high school. Um, So for players that have, like, it was nervous or I don't like this coach or this environment is, like, way, there's, like, four teams and they're all white people, (laughs) you know, uh, I think that can be really intimidating. But, again 
with that being driven by players that said, no, I really would like to play at another level, it's not, no matter what, if you get six weeks or eight weeks of everyday practice, you're going to be better than if you didn't. Um, so there is an element of like, because they're a captive audience, you know, because there are fewer barriers, the bus picks you up at school, like, you know, everything is given to you by the high school. Um, I think it is a an easy way for girls to kind of start that process. I think also there, the current reality of the world says it is going to be very difficult for you to get looked at if you are not in structured environments. If you're not in a club, it's a lot harder to go to a college showcase and maybe college coaches aren't going anyplace other than a college showcase because it's not an efficient use of time or they don't have the resources. Or they only go to the state tournament or something. Exactly, exactly, right? So there also is a reality that says we have not flipped the the soccer world yet. Um, Not to say that that's what we're trying to do, but it says, okay, well, let's meet people where they're at and also this is the current system and if people want to go, then we have to have them show up in different ways. Um, And we also know that there are a lot of if you have a strong college or excuse me a strong high school coach and the networks are broad enough with college coaches if they hear of high school teams doing well they're going to start reaching out to high school teams um so supporting supporting i think coaches supporting other women to coach in high school um building those relationships with other high school coaches even right i think we're super blessed in saint paul right mary's at washington stephanie cruz just got the job at central um you know there are a lot of young really awesome young people who are doing work at como um jessica adame is at humble like you know the um uh coach vang at johnson right that there is a really really interesting network that's getting built lizzie merrill at minneapolis south like there are people who are, and I'm sure I'm missing a lot of them, um, but there are coaches that are starting to get connected who through just years of being in the community, in the soccer world, hey, I know you, like, oh, let's connect. Oh, also, I know that you have good players over there, right? There is, I think, an element of the work that we're doing um, as people who you know, support the work at Monarch is making the connections and building the relationships. So now we can be like, hey, did you know that there's, you know, like Emily from Hamlin has come over and she, her ID camp is now free. So great. Let's, let's get all the players to go. I think college coaches are starting to see, um, not just club as an environment that's a kid support players. And maybe if they're not playing club, let's take a look at some high schools that are doing some things differently or that are showing good players. Right. So I think access in club or access in high school or somehow lifting up games or or players that are just playing in community leagues. I think the more that things can just get amplified or get visible in different ways, um, it can support players and, and families just engaging in the soccer world in a different way. So I think it has a place and it has an important place, but I also think it's just one piece of the puzzle. Mm-hmm. Well, and last but not least because you have all you've given an incredible amount of time is for you know the run of the mill soccer fan who maybe goes to United Games but doesn't know much about um, you know any effort to expand access to the game or who watches watch the Women's World Cup and they're like oh my god that was so great like look at Megan Rapinoe she's my new president <laughs> for people who did that but don't know anything about Monarch or anything about efforts like yours to elevate women who are otherwise kind of underrepresented. What are things that they can do to support Monarch and to support the work that you're doing? Um, 
being that we are a network of people, we are always looking to grow our network. Um, you know, people who have an ability to sponsor or who can, you know, cover an entrance feature for a tournament or cover uniforms for a team that wants support. Um, that's always a help. Uh, like really, Monarch is just people and, and leaders and community who are who are doing work. The more people who want to come and say, yes, I would love to support. I'm happy to be someone who reviews resumes and cover letters. I'm happy to, you know, open up my workplace or my institution, my college that I work at for a college visit. Um, people who are just really invested in creating more spaces for girls and women to play, right? And again, Mary mentioned we're super inclusive, right? So like literally anybody is you're welcome to to participate but also just to be a part of supporting and, and doing the work the work only gets done if people do the work um we really love that we love partners building collaborations um you know hey i have this thing that i'm throwing on would you like to invite this or oh i've got this job and we're really looking for you know someone with these identities you know can that is can you throw something in your facebook group um people who are just coming to us and looking to engage, we can run a, a really quick conversation, learn a little bit about what their interests are, and then figure out how to plug them in. We, we really just want to grow our network of people, our network of supporters, um, and any way people want to do that, right? We're not going to say no, because that's not what this work is. This work is about yes and. Yeah, I think Andrea covered it. A lot of it is um, just we're always looking for partnerships. If it's throwing on tournaments or doing like community events, um, we're always looking to do some partnerships with other groups. And also just if there's other soccer programs out there that we can um, maybe put on a calendar saying like, okay, on Mondays, this group does this. On Tuesdays, Monarch does this. On Wednesdays, this group does that. So that we really can share to even our younger players that, hey, there are different spaces that you can play at. Mm -hmm. It's not just this one group. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good point. I think a lot of what we're finding through our network building and relationship building is like there's so much awesome stuff that's already happening, but people are kind of siloed. And so, people, you know, so we're really working to try to pull together and learn about other things. Unfortunately, we're not psychic on these days. So when people come, hey, this is what I'm doing like great and this is what we're doing right just really building more because it shouldn't just be women's league right like there are very few places for women to just play so if you want to play you know with just women great here are these options and if you want co-ed great here are these options mm -hmm. if you want to go into a workspace that's supportive of women or women of color great here are these options um, so we really welcome anybody that is willing to support or engage or play or volunteer or bring your kids and come watch because it's fun to be in our space, right? You just want to rekindle your love of the game. We're all about that too. We got music, we got food, we got kids running around. Like it's it's genuinely fun. This is great. So you desperately need 190 pound, 31 year old men to come in and mix it up. On the you court. would be welcome. You would have to. We would ask the players if they are open to having you come play. They are likely to say yes. Here's here's what you can <laughs> include in that pitch. If they need someone who is ripe for getting um, nutmegged, who really gets low and constantly opens up to get just clowned all day long with nutmegs. Just make sure you offer that. That's you usually would, what happens. You would be 100% welcome. Right. They, they would love that. They get all their highlights <laughs> in. 
drink all you can drink. That would be perfect. Well, Put that on the college table. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. My, yeah. I have a quick question. Yes. Um, Matt, I know you um, did participate in the co-ed tournament this last mm-hmm. winter. And um, what was your experience being in that tournament? And mm-hmm. How can you share that with? It was, yeah. So for people might have seen on our social media, I... I sponsored a team, Equal Time sponsored the Like a Girl team, and we got a few Gopher alums to play on that team, and then I myself played because I'm always looking to get humbled by (laughs) younger players, Um, and it was at uh, Washington Tech, and it was huge. You walk in, and there's just dozens of teams, and you have your schedule of your multiple games, and it's a lot of young people, so we were easily the oldest team, I think. We had to have been. I was... I mean, I was probably the oldest person on our team when I was 31, and all these other women on our team were anywhere from, like, 20 to 30. Um, and you go in, and we played those games, and it was... There was this palpable energy in the building. You know, it's tons of kids, tons of different families there bringing in their own food, and there's, like, you know, hanging out in the gym... And the games were so fun. It was super fast. There was refs there who were having to like talk down like teenagers arguing calls. It was so fun. The soccer was um, really, I mean, the futsal was really high quality. I mean, we got crushed by at least one team. And we had like Big Ten Player of the Year, like level players on our team. We were getting demolished by some of these kids. Um, and it was super fun. I mean, the... I just, it felt like the type of place where you'd go in and, um, you know, it's hard to pre-design a space that's just so positive and energetic, but you, you know it when you see it and you walk in and you feel welcome just because of that. Like I very easily could have felt pretty out of place as like a goony six foot, like out of shape dude wearing again, a women's medium sized t-shirt, um, unfortunately. And it was still just like so fun. I mean, you're playing against people 10 years younger than you or of different ages, different backgrounds, different um, experience levels. And it was just a blast. And I think that was, so if folks want to experience that type of thing. I mean, I would say it's super fun. It's super accessible because I'm, I played a year of like low level D3 soccer. And it's still, even though I wasn't, we lost games, it was still, you were able to keep up because the level of play still allows you to be participating and having fun and get nutmegged by 12 year olds you know like it was still super a great experience so yeah I if you've never done it I would I still need to get up to like a random futsal night and just get clowned by tweens I think that would be a lot of fun yeah I think that the easiest place to plug in is really for people that want to play right or support other players to play we're always recruiting for teams for tournaments or even you know we're helping other people throw on tournaments and looking for players looking I mean women in particular right that's who we certainly target but we're open to everyone um, and you know you talked about pre-designing environments that's it's what we do it's an intentional effort to create a culture and environment where everyone feels welcome and is having a great time so I'm thrilled to hear that you had a good time I would you know we do a lot of our marketing over Facebook so if people have Facebook um, you know our monarch FC pages where we're putting you know information and then blasting it out um, so we would just invite everybody to, to follow us on Facebook um, we have an email as well monarch program one at gmail.com um, people can also direct inquiries Inquiries there. Um, there's a really tight turnaround, so we're just happy to, to invite people and um, welcome people into anything that we're doing. And also here, if people have other really great ideas, and this is what I'd like to see, awesome. If you want to help drive it, 
we're here for it. Mm -hmm. And we'll make sure to put all that stuff in the description. And Andrea, Mary, you've given over an hour of time officially to this podcast. So that's how much you've sacrificed chilling and hanging out with me, talking about soccer. So we appreciate it so much. Monarch FC, we will include all that information. Check them out. Doing amazing work. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Matt.